You told Moses to make bricks without straw. Now he tells you to make cities without bricks. <laughs> who is the slave and who is the pharaoh? Do you hear laughter, Ramses? Yes, the laughter of kings in Babylon, in Canaan, in Troy. As Egypt surrenders to the god of slaves. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Daw. And this week, we watched all 500 hours of The Ten Commandments. And oh, Susan, I wish every day could be a sharing festival. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Who doesn't love shearing festivals? Let's... I... Man, so I didn't hate this movie as much as I expected to, so that's something. <laughs> and I did watch it in such a way that it was like I was watching an episode of television basically every day for many days. Because it is three hours and 40 minutes long, and there is... No fucking reason for that. I will never watch it, but I am kind of curious. Amazon had an extended cut that went to four hours and 20 minutes. What could you possibly be missing? (laughs) Right? Exactly. (laughs) So, obviously, this is a very famous movie. It is Cecil B. DeMille's last film, even though the Academy thought his previous film for which he won the Oscar greatest show on earth was going to be his last film. And by comparison, this movie is way better. Unquestionably. Yeah. I mean, it is in a way like the apotheosis of Cecil B. DeMille, right? Like everything that was laid out in Cleopatra is fully developed and in living color. This is one of the worst screenplays I've ever, at least as far as dialogue is concerned. Yeah. Actually, I'm not going to say screenplay because, like, pacing-wise, yes, the movie is way over long, but, you know, like, each sort of section makes sense that it comes in that order, and if they're all going to take this long, then, you know, whatever, fine. Nothing really drags more than anything else. Yeah. I mean, if anything, I do actually think <laughs> this is absurd. But the last 15 minutes are like, this should have been an hour. Like, the last 15 minutes, so much shit happens. Oh, absolutely. I thought they were going to cut it off before he got the Ten Commandments. (laughs) I was like, well, it's weird that they called it this movie, but clearly we don't have enough time left at the pace we have been going for them to get through the wandering in the desert and getting the... And worshipping the golden calf and going to go get the Ten Commandments. Also, the last 15 minutes of this movie, maybe even like the last four minutes of this movie, are where even the parts of it that are great, like the costumes and the makeup and everything, kind of falls apart. Because yeah, Moses's beard is like cotton balls that a preschooler put together. <laughs> The time jump to getting to the promised land is fucking absurd. And I do blame the movie for that. 
the golden calf is also ab- absurd, but I actually blame the Bible for that. Like <laughs> that segment of the Bible has always had some storytelling issues and having Edward G. Robinson just go ham on. We're all going crazy. Moses is gone. Tell your kids <laughs> is at least like something. Yeah, I that that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. This this movie is so much, man. I don't like I I we should start somewhere, yeah. but I'm I don't know where it is. <laughs> I mean, weirdly there's just not a whole hell of a lot of plot here. It is the biblical story of Moses. He is born as a like prophesied deliverer of the Hebrew people who are all slaves in Egypt. The Pharaoh is like, well, fuck that, and kills all the firstborn, like, newborn children to try and stop it. Moses' mom sets him down the river where he is found by the Pharaoh's sister? Daughter? I don't know. At the Um, time, at the time, uh, daughter. But sister of the Pharaoh that we deal with for the first half of the movie. And, um like, is raised as part of the royal family, is better at Ramses, <laughs> better at everything than Ramses, his rival, who is uh, played by Yul Brenner as our second, like, weirdly, like, this is weirdly in conversation with the king and I in ways that I don't quite know how to unpack right now. Yeah, I mean, not the least of which is because Yul Brenner. I would say actually Yul Brenner and Ann Baxter are the only ones who are pulling off what is the most overwrought dialogue I've ever heard in my entire life. And I include Charlton Heston there and we'll get to your argument for why it actually works. And I don't disagree with you. Yeah. But I still don't think he's pulling it off. I would argue that what Charlton Heston is doing cannot be described as acting. However... (laughs) It can be described as entertaining. Yes, like I, I am like, totally there. <laughs> yes. Um, so, it, yeah, Charlton Heston right. is our Moses, which never gets less absurd at any point in this four-hour movie. Because he is playing it, I, I said last time that it's Troy McClure, and it is, but this one really tips over into the slightly different Zap Brannigan voice of just like... What makes a man turn neutral? Like, just the most absurd <laughs> shit said with absolute confidence. Like, it isn't the most absurd thing anyone has ever said in I, history. Yeah, I have to say, like, once you said Zap Brannigan, I enjoyed the rest of this movie in a way that I did not <laughs> leading up to it. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Actually, th- this is fine. Like, if I'm just imagining that Zap Brannigan has been mysteriously cast as Moses in the Ten Commandments. All of this makes sense now. <laughs> yeah, I want to, like, sit down with Billy West about it and be like, so you, did, like, modeled it off of this specific Heston performance, right? Because it's also that, like, Zap Brannigan has that same, like, sort of unearned confidence in nothing. Yes, and just, like, complete, like casualness while at the same time being over dramatic yeah it's fascinating to watch <sighs> is it acting though uh no no i would say no yeah <laughs> but it is entertaining i would even argue like yul brenner is kind of acting and baxter is honestly the only person given an opportunity to act in this movie yeah i mean yul brenner is is 
really doing his damnedest, but his part is nothing. Yeah. It's a lot of screen time for a part that is nothing. <laughs> he plays the hell out of one scene three hours and 20 minutes into this movie where he has a crisis of faith about the Egyptian gods because they will not bring his dead son back to life. And I go, whoa, why are there stakes? Everybody calm down. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is what? Which is definitely uh, damning with Faint praise, a movie that is literally the story of Exodus. <laughs> yep. Uh, also interesting about this movie is uh, at the beginning, there is a very long introduction that is like, this is the story of Moses in the Bible. And for people who are Bible readers, don't worry. We actually got the rest of this story that is missing from the Bible from historians who lived during the time of Jesus who had access to documents that were destroyed or perhaps lost like the Dead Sea Scrolls and I'm like this is the weirdest thing ever and then we go through the whole movie where they take so many pains to never say that the Israelites are Jewish And I'm like, oh, okay, I get it now. I get why they were, like, really stressing the fact that these Jewish texts, which they never call them that, but that's what their references were, were written during the time of Jesus. (laughs) It is a weird movie that really wants to be very Christian while being, like, the most important Jewish story. (laughs) Yeah, because it wants to do that same thing that, like, The Robe and all the other ones did of like you are a persecuted minority white Christians in the year of our Lord 1956 mm-hmm. like in America yeah. um, like it wants to make this a very direct analog to just like your experience of being an audience member of this film which it isn't but whatever like it kind of i think benefits from not being a very good movie in that way of like it doesn't really try and do anything in particular except like call them hebrews all the time or israelites yeah right and then like not make any fucking sense especially the passover scene was particularly weird because i was like you guys got a lot of stuff here wrong but whatever yeah uh but anyway moses is gonna be pharaoh because he's way better than ramses at everything and nefertiri wants to bang him but then the night they're gonna get married and he's gonna be like crowned or whatever you do to make somebody pharaoh that his secret past as an israelite is discovered And he goes to live among the slaves to see what his people are really living through, which is kind of a weird flex, but okay. (laughs) That goes as about as well for him as you might imagine it would. He eventually confesses to the whole thing and goes like, hey, these people shouldn't be slaves and is like thrown out of Egypt. He is exiled by Ramses, who is made Pharaoh and wanders the desert well he's thrown out of egypt because he kills vincent price Mm. right i totally forgot yeah very important because at an hour (laughs) and 30 minutes into the movie that's not even halfway in so i totally forgot about vincent price completely understandable (laughs) who is also not doing what i would describe as acting but i still love it yeah it's one of the most fascinating things about this movie that the two 
characters in here who are like super creepy and want to bang this one Israelite slave girl and as far as we can tell succeed in like holding her as a sex slave literally yeah are also weirdly queer coded yeah one of whom is Vincent Price yes but then like Moses comes in and kills him and when he is brought before the pharaoh the pharaoh is like just lie to me and tell me that everything that that like you're not and I will just let all of this go and he's like I must tell the truth and then he wanders the desert and gets laid and we do a big time jump and then we have the burning bush where he meets God and God tells him to go back to Egypt and free his people. And then we get to a bunch of Pharaoh, let my people go shit. We get to all the plagues. The plagues are pretty entertaining, but also just like aren't very much plot because it's just the same beat of Moses doing rad shit with magic powers and the Pharaoh being like, you're a cheap wizard. And until like all the firstborn sons of Egypt are dead. Not such a cheap wizard now, am I? Yeah, really high rent wizard. Anyway, then the Pharaoh lets everybody go, but Nefertiri uh, negs him into going and trying to kill all of them. And uh, then we get to the parting of the Red Sea, arguably the most famous special effect of all time. Um, And, like, it doesn't hold up on the realism scale, but it does hold up on, like, looking rad. Yeah, yeah. There's no part of me that's, like, comparing this to, you know... Uh, I don't know, like, even some of the stuff that happens in, like, Game of Thrones, you know, as far as, like, special effects are concerned. But it fucking looks better. Yeah. It's it's really, really badass. It's like, oh, okay, if I were watching this, like, just on my regular television, which is, you know, a pretty large-ish television for a New York City-sized apartment, but if I were seeing this shit, like, on a full, big screen... It's kind of awe-inspiring, even on my television. Yeah, like, it is absolutely why you came here. It Like, in all caps. Like, the, it is the thing that you come to the theater for. There would have, if Twitter existed, been viral threads of entire audiences, like, losing their mind, cheering and clapping at the parting of the Red Sea. It is amazing, in the quite literal sense. Like, I was amazed. Which is really impressive considering that at this point I have watched three hours and 25 minutes of this movie. <laughs> and I'm fucking over it. Yeah. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm not that over it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, the the bad news is after that you can kind of be over it. Yeah. Like, the actual, like, inscribing of the Ten Commandments special effect is, like, hand-drawn animation over, like actual filmed stuff which i do always like but like meanwhile we have the absolutely bizarre golden calf shit which is very rushed yeah for sure edward g robinson goes from zero to 60 real fast which again in his defense the actual people in the bible go from zero to 60 real fast on the golden calf thing well they don't because they're like wandering in the desert for 40 years at that point. No, Golden Calf is Golden Calf is pre-wandering in the desert. No, that's the whole thing. Is they're like, we're tired of wandering in the desert. God isn't taking us to the promised land. Let's build ourselves a golden calf and worship it instead. Which, like, you know, man, I wasn't around then. I don't know how that stuff works. It just seems weird to me that they're like, 
we could just make our own god. <laughs> but, you know, fine, whatever. Yeah. Again, I, I, I wasn't there. No, okay. Now I'm now realizing that, of course, the whole point of that is the, like, wild and decadent everybody loses their mind sequence, which is extremely Cecil B. DeMille. Just like, if there's a part of this story where everybody has a giant orgy, that is going in the story. Yeah. <laughs> Whether or not it makes any sense yep. to include it. Yeah, I mean, C- Cecil B. DeMille will have his orgy. <laughs> this is his last movie. He yeah. knows it. He's having the fucking orgy. <laughs> so that happens, and Moses is like, why the hell did you have like orgy at the drop of a hat? God's really pissed at us, and now we have to wander the desert for 40 years. And then we jump cut to 40 years later, where Moses is like, I don't get to go to the promised land because off screen I did some bad shit. <laughs> anyway, bye. It really, really feels a bit anticlimactic, I'm gonna be honest. It does. And like, I get where. You have to do something because stopping with the golden calf is such a downer ending. And like, well, you got to have the orgy. So like, I guess I feel like you can stop with the Red Sea and rename the movie. (laughs) Stop with the Red Sea and rename the movie. Or just stop with him like descending the mountain with the Ten Commandments and don't do the golden calf stuff. Just be like, now it is a new era for the people because we have these Ten Commandments laid down by God. Um, And like, even to this day, or what the fuck ever you want the like closing, like overly dramatic crawl to say. (laughs) Whatever. By by four hours into this movie, you're either bought in or you're not. So I guess the ending kind of sucking is not really its biggest problem. Yeah, I mean, fair enough, right? Like, that's... (laughs) Okay. Uh, or you're like asleep. Yeah. You know, your adrenaline just dropped after the Red Sea and you're, this is a nap. And you wake up and you're like, oh man, did he do the, did he get the thing that's in the title of the movie? Oh, okay. He did. Cool. Let's go home. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So th- this is going to be a, ch- this is going to be a real challenge for me on the should you watch this front. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because it is very long and the dialogue is absolutely just the, the dialogue really it it is absurd when there are times when there are characters on screen who are not Zap Brannigan as Moses Nefertiri or Ramses which unfortunately is pretty often yeah nobody else in this movie is committed to delivering the absolutely absurd lines and it's like even i i would say even edward g robinson who is like doing an okay job depending on on the scene but his character makes no fucking sense no his character is just there to be like a shifty mercantile jew like that is that is the entire point of his character um, which sucks. Um, and he doesn't really click into what movie he's in until Moses is gone, everybody riot. 
Like, until the golden calf, he does not really click into what he's doing. Right. Vincent Price knows what movie he is in, I will say. But he also dies relatively early, by which I mean an hour and a half into this four-hour movie. Yeah. So you don't actually get a whole ton of him. Yeah. Edward G. Robinson is definitely doing some... uh, Like, his character is a really weird character. Because, again, we have this film where the whole idea is, like, we white Christians of 1956 are going to take this story and, like, make it ours. Which, fine, yeah. like, you know, Jesus was Jewish and, and that is in a continuum, sure. But, like, we're not going to mention any Jewish things. We're not going to make these characters Jewish. Except for this one guy who, by the way, in the Bible, gets swallowed up by the earth Mm -hmm. (laughs) like does not make it out of egypt so it's really weird that they make him this kind of like anti-semitic stereotype of like the the money hungry jewish guy who will sell out his people for riches and then give him a redemption arc question mark yeah really weird yeah really weird this character i'm like what is the point (laughs) I think he is just there to try and give voice to, like, somebody besides Moses. Basically, to explain why everybody doesn't just do what Moses tells them to is, like, but it is very weird to go, like, and it's because of this one guy. Right. (laughs) Instead of, like, some larger moral failing of the people. It's just, like, if this one guy didn't fuck it up for him, they would have gotten to the promised land, like, immediately. Oh, the golden calf. Because I looked it up. Yeah. And I was a little bit confused. Mm -hmm. I got the number right. Okay. But it's that Moses went up to Mount Sinai and was there for 40 days and nights. Okay. And everybody was like, oh, well, they, uh, he's abandoned us. Like, he was supposed to be the guy that was going to lead us to the promised land. And he just went up this mountain and like, maybe he's dead now. Or maybe he's never coming back or whatever. Okay, that that matches with my thing. And honestly, I think when I was younger, I thought that sounded insane. But I've now lived through the pandemic. So yeah, a month and a half is about when people lose their fucking mind. Yeah, right? And just do the single most insane thing you can think yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, sure, that checks right, out. Right, Like, in the movie, it seems like he goes up there and it's like 30 seconds later. <laughs> There is no real feeling of the passage of a month and a half. But, you know, everybody's there. They're stuck in one place. They're restless. And they think that the guy who's supposed to be in charge is not doing the thing. So they lost their fucking mind. Yeah. I mean, that, again, totally checks out. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway. Yes. Back to the individual characters of this movie. And also why I am going to have a hard time telling people not to watch this movie. Because I do think that Ann Baxter and Yul Brenner are doing a really good job that is weirdly worth watching, especially Ann Baxter, who has somehow milked from this totally not well-written role a character that's almost comparable to Lady Macbeth <laughs> with the, like, you know, I I have given suck and know what is to love the babe who milked me. Had I so promised as you had, I would pluck his, my nipple from his gums and dash his brains out or whatever part that Lady Macbeth has at the beginning of the play. Yeah. When she's like, Ramses, you have to go after 
Moses, and I want to see that sword stained with his blood and then come back and kill me and put me out of my misery because our kid is dead. And I was like, damn. Well, and, and also explicitly goes like, also, I did go and try and sleep with Moses and it didn't work, which also just fucking go ahead and kill me. <laughs> and like says that to her husband. She really plays like it is a stock type that I don't love of like absolutely psychotically horny woman. Like, you know, she's evil because she fucks. <laughs> but like she does some stuff with it. Yeah, she really does. <laughs> I have no idea how Ann Baxter's performance specifically got past the Hayes Code. Because her delivery of some lines is like, I know none of the words she just said wouldn't get past the Hayes Code, but somehow the sentence she just implied was like stuff that you were not supposed to talk about on film until like the 90s. Like, yeah, yeah. She makes the subtext text. Mm -hmm. uh, I also don't know how she specifically didn't get nominated for an acting award here, but yeah, nobody did. Um, and for the most part, that that is correct. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, she she's great. I actually think Yule Brenner is doing a really good job, and something about the kind of weird way that he speaks because English is not his first language, but it's not accented exactly. It's just like a strange sort of cadence makes this weird language work in a way that it doesn't for pretty much anybody else in this film. <laughs> and I started to listen because I was like, did they just write better lines for him? And no, no. They, no, no, it was not. Like, they were still just absolute garbage. Sometimes worse, like, content-wise. Yeah. I He, I do think, is in many ways saddled with, like, the worst part. Because he is just sort of like this scheming Baxter who is just absolutely dunked on by actually literally God, <laughs> like for most of the movie. Yeah. That he manages to get any kind of pathos or any kind of like internal life into a character that's just doomed and doomed to just do like to disobey the commands of God um, is really impressive. Right. Especially with, like you say, this dialogue that does no favors. Like they both Yulbrenner and Ann Baxter are just like finding the two or three lines both of them have that have any emotional weight to them. And just sort of like building their entire performance for four hours around it. And like, I'm not fully going to say the center holds, but that like the center was there in the first place is fucking amazing. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is really like watching an athletic performance. Yeah. <laughs> because they're holding up this movie and it is, there is a lot to hold up. Um. <laughs> Speaking of which, holy shit, the sets and the costumes for this movie are just bonkers. Yeah. And, like, the money that they must have spent because nothing looks shitty, it looks costumey. It looks stagey, but it looks expensive. Yeah. 
the things that Ann Baxter wears, and I feel like she wears 700 different dresses in this, every one of which is absolutely <laughs> incredible and is like beaded from top to bottom. And all of the headdresses, like everything that the rich Egyptians wear is just incredible. I think that's why the beard at the very end on Moses really pissed me off. Because I was like, I know you can do better than this. I've just watched fucking four almost hours <laughs> of incredible costuming and hair. And honestly, most of his beards, because he has five different beards or something throughout this film. <laughs> it's weird because like the old age makeup on everybody else. Is great. Is great. Is really convincing. Yeah. Like it does not it does not feel like some of the other old age makeup we've seen that's like, okay, this is what you would do on a theater stage, but when you get a camera in somebody's face, it looks like, oh, you literally drew lines on their forehead with eyeliner. <laughs> yeah. And like Charlton Heston's beard at the end looks like they cut a hole in the middle of a wig and just kind of shoved it into his face. <laughs> yeah, and that the wig is made out of like the that really huge thick soft yarn that you use in kindergarten yeah like it's it's not it made me so mad because again i was like i know you can do better than this Uh, and i will say that sometimes in this film when the dialogue got to a point where i was like i i truly am going to lose my fucking mind because this is so bad i just zoned out and looked at what was on the screen and you know Cecil B. DeMille is a legend for a reason and the reason is he can shoot the hell out of a scene and like this is absolutely a movie where I would feel comfortable like going out into the lobby and getting another bucket of popcorn like you can walk away from this movie for five minutes and come back in and be like Pharaoh still didn't let those people go right all right what's up now like like what plague are we on now they're rolling around in the mud okay good I have 15 minutes where I can go get something before I have to come back because, you know, Nefertiri is going to have another great costume. <laughs> yeah. So, like, if when when this movie gets to be too much, which it is either too much or nothing, those are this movie's two modes. Yes. You really can just go like, yeah, all right. And like you say, zone out. I think sort of this entire movie in Microcosm is a scene very, very early on where Ramsey's attempts to get rid of Moses by saying, like, he's done all of this shit at this city to treat slaves nice in the city he's supposed to be building. And so, Pharaoh, you got to get rid of him. It has dog shit dialogue, but dog shit dialogue that is occasionally really entertaining, or at least the delivery of it is really entertaining. Right. It has... Really great costumes. Oh, absolutely. And it has this shot where Charlton Heston's, like, mic drop in this argument is like, and I built your city, and, like, pulls aside this curtain, and, like, I know it's a fucking model, but it looks insane. Like, it's incredible, <laughs> this shot of the of the built city, where you do just kind of, like, it would shut you up. So you do go, like, oh, I get why it shuts all the characters up. Yeah. That he's, like, done this thing. Now, of course, they would have seen this coming in because it's a fucking city, so it doesn't make any sense. But it does within the, like, plot of the movie. Yeah. That is actually a microcosm. Is there a dance number in that? Uh, No, you're right. that's the only thing that's maybe missing. And there are a lot of dance numbers in here. 
I mean, they're not like musical dance numbers in the sense of like people are singing or whatever, but they're like, they are very choreographed and there is a lot going on and there's costumes and there's like movements to the dance number. Um, I mean, it really is in so many ways, just like the promise of Cleopatra fulfilled, you know? Yeah. And there's something to be said for that. I would agree. I think this movie is bonkers in a slightly different way. And, like, the Hayes Code is clearly here. Even if it wasn't powerful enough to stop Ann Baxter, it's very clearly still, like, taking its toll on this movie. I don't know that there are nuclear weapons that are powerful enough to have stopped <laughs> Ann Baxter from making this role sexy. Yeah. So, like, it is in many ways a different movie than Cleopatra, despite the director and the, like, a largely similar sort of subject matter and tone of just like a bunch of pretty shit in Egypt and then just like a cast of thousands. And you sort of don't really care about the plot that much. Yeah. And I actually feel like despite the fact that it's quite a bit longer, it doesn't drag as hard as Cleopatra did because the stuff with Cleopatra and uh, Mark Antony and Cleopatra was so tedious. Yeah. It was like, yes, okay, they're lying down and, like, telling each other they love each other for fucking ever. Yeah. And the first, like, 15 minutes before you really get to, like, her and Julius Caesar hooking up are also, like, what are we doing here? Yeah. So, despite being super long and uh, and overlong, um, it is still paced better in a weird way. Yeah, I totally agree that, like, I, I think you said right at the very start of the podcast that like it is weirdly hard to figure out what to cut in this thing like it is clearly over long but it is not over long in such a way where you're just like just cut all the stuff in the desert like just cut the plagues like there's not really a section that drags so much as you just go like boy this whole thing we could have told it more efficiently, probably. It's a lot of just, like, a few seconds here, a few seconds there, but all over the place. More than it is, like, this scene is stupid, cut it. It's like, yeah. why do we need to have pauses between each line of dialogue that are big enough to drive a truck through? And, I mean, I guess the reason is really that they had to wait until the other actor stopped laughing at how fucking ridiculous the thing that their cue line was. To deliver it is the only thing that I can imagine. Because otherwise it's like someone will say something and then it's like every person in Egypt is very thoughtful and stops to think about what it is that they're going to reply. Not one interruption happens in this film. Yeah. Never. No one yells over anyone else. Yeah. It is like, I delivered my line. Now I shall reply to your lie. <laughs> yeah, and the result is that, like, nobody really feels like they're responding to each other in a weird kind of way. Like, even when the line is, like, a direct, actual, literal response to somebody else's line, like, the tone doesn't match up because of that break, mm -hmm. that it just sort of feels like, on an unrelated note, this sentence that is a direct response to the thing you just said. <laughs> yes, that is exactly how it feels exactly how it feels um so yeah uh should we should we rate this yeah yeah i think we're safe to do that uh, um see for me i feel like this is the first 
totally bonkers five we've had in a long time. I can get behind a totally bonkers five. It's also because it is just like, to, to uh, you know what? I'm going to say it's a slightly different kind of totally bonkers five because this, like I said, this movie is either too much or nothing, but it is that on so many different axes. <laughs> Like, yes, the, yeah, the, the, that I just end up being the like woman doing math in her head, <laughs> but, but did, and then the costumes, but then Charlton Heston, but then Charlton Heston's costumes, but then also that one time he yelled, The dead make none, which is a terrible line, and he delivers it terribly, but somehow it's a positive. I don't know what's happening, like, right? I, <laughs> it's like Charlton Heston as Moses, bad, Charlton Heston as Zap Brannigan as Moses, good. Yeah. So like five of the five of just like, yeah, I tilt. Yeah. Tilt five. Um, Yeah. Tilt five. And um, watch this. Watch this. I I, think watch this movie. Watch this movie. Yeah, I think so. I think watch this movie. Not all at once. Or if all at once. I did, in fact, end up watching it just as a run with Nikki one night this week, expecting to stop way more often. But I will say, I did, in fact, get up and literally go to the kitchen and make popcorn for five minutes without stopping the movie. And then you missed literally nothing. I missed literally nothing. Like, you really can, if you're going to watch this straight through, give yourself the gift of zoning out. That is totally fair. Um, Or, you know, like, gather a bunch of people together and make it a thing. Yeah. Like, oh, we're going to make a big dinner and then we're going to all sit and, like, talk shit about this movie while we watch it. But also be really mesmerized by the costumes and the truly absurd acting that doesn't make a damn bit of sense. (laughs) But as far as, like, is this a good movie? That is the tilt. Like, I cannot... it It is campy as hell. It is really, like... I know that it's not considered a cult classic because it is something that, like, you know... Because it's one of the most successful movies of all time. Yeah, exactly. Like, financially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And a big part of that is, like, evangelical American Christians just are bonkers for this film. Yeah. And, you know, Charlton Heston by extension. But it feels that way. Like, it genuinely feels like the first movie that we have watched for this project, and we are now up to 1956 and started in 1927, it feels like the first movie that is so bad it's good. Yeah. Because, like, the good parts of it are excellent, and the bad parts of it are fucking hilarious and really entertaining. Um, and we haven't we haven't had that yet. We've had so bad. It has moments of it's funny, but it felt pathetic. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't feel bad for anyone in this movie to be like this. You guys are. I don't even know what is happening and what uh, what school of acting this is. And this dialogue is absolute garbage. Uh, and I don't feel bad about it because it somehow still works. <laughs> Also because I guess they made a shit ton of money, so like, how can you really feel bad about that? Yeah, it does sort of feel like, hey, at the end of the day, no matter how much fun we poke at this movie, it still made ten times its budget, and that's like in the initial box office. Right, and its initial budget 
was very fucking large. Yeah, for the time. Yes. It was adjusted for inflation. 13 million is well over $100 million. Yeah. And adjusted for inflation, I have to imagine 122 million is over a billion, which in fact, if I just do basic math in my head, from what I just said, would have to be true. Yeah, so uh, I, I, I had to watch this movie, I guess. Yeah. So next week, <laughs> uh, we are watching the final film in the 1956 nominees, which is a truly uh, brief two hours and 17 minutes long, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is... Friendly Persuasion, starring Gary Cooper and a bunch of other people who I don't really know. I guess Anthony Perkins. I would just like to read one sentence out of context from this movie's Wikipedia plot summary that just caught my eye. Go ahead. We are introduced to the family via its youngest member, Little Jess, who is forever at war with his mother's pet goose. This is a Civil War drama. (laughs) that's all wow (laughs) wow does the goose like represent the south and just represents the north like i don't Uh, find out next week if uh if little just is a is a metaphor um And until then... I mean, this was a movie. Like, this was too much. This movie didn't invent being too much, but it's the dictionary definition of being too much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, this is unquestionably a movie because it could not be anything else. Right, because when you're 173% of a movie, you have to be a movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, good point. All right, bye, everybody. (laughs) Goodbye. What gifts do you bring? We bring you the word of God.